Yes, well, it's come a long way since those early days, 25 years ago. Uh, we now have a sports medicine, medicine specialist um, at almost every event on the Tuesday and Wednesday. They're the two days prior to the, the actual um, competition starting, and that's when players are interested in performance, they're interested in, in their health. Uh, in addition to that, we have a, a physio team that's there from, from two, days two or three days before the event, throughout the event. Um, and then on top of that, we have an advisory board who, who come to two or three events a year, but also support us uh, with radiology and, and uh, tertiary specialties such as uh, wrist, um, uh, wrist specialists. Uh, and they support us uh, if we've got particular problems in those areas that we can't sort out in the usual way. Uh, we also have a, a GE ultrasound machine, um, which is available to us, uh, which we use uh, as an extension of our clinical examination. Okay, um, and your events, this spread all throughout Europe. Um, I'm sure a few people on Twitter might have seen the, the bus that sort of, sort of goes around. What's, what's it like working in that sort of environment, in, in, in such an organisational role? What are the challenges of, um, of your job? Well, as you can imagine, uh, getting the people into the right place at the right time, um, uh, the logistics is quite complicated, and uh, I, I've got a member of my team that spends the whole time making sure that you know, people do turn up. Uh, on top of that, um, obviously there's a, a rotor system, and uh, we've got to fit in with other people's, um, uh, uh, other people's lives. Um, and working in other countries, um, we, we, the, there are rules and regulations in terms of equipment and, and, and certain drugs that, uh, uh, you, you, that, that you have to watch. Um, so yes, it, it's challenging, but um, we've been doing it for quite a few years now, and uh, I think we've, we've got it down to a, a reasonable art anyway. Okay, and the, the bus that I mentioned, it's a fantastic facility, and we can sign those people towards the ETPI uh, Twitter page, for, because they produce some fantastic videos and guides, you know, from prehab to rehabilitation. Um, can you just sort of describe this sort of facility so our viewers and sort of our listeners can sort of picture it? Yes, well, if you can imagine a, a very big bus, um, which is blue, um, with uh, an entrance at the back where players come in, uh, where there's a, a fitness area, and a little bit more up front, there's three um, three plinths where uh, where the actual um, uh, physical therapy takes place. And yes, three in a row. Um, the, 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 the confidentiality of the players like to be together. Uh, it's my theory on why Europe keeps winning the Ryder Cup. Uh, that, that there's a lot of, uh, of, of, of banter and, and, and good stuff goes on there, as well as the as the physical therapy. And up further up front, we have a a, a um, uh, a room which is a little bit more private. Uh, we've got a pull-down bed there, and we've got our ultrasound machine, so that we can we can uh, tackle private consultations in that area. And again, I think the, the physical therapists and some of the S and C guys that you work with, they, um, it's definitely worth the listeners checking out the page and they get people like Nigel Tilly um, produces some fantastic resources. So yes, Nigel Tilly's. Um, Players are very interested. You know, they're they're very um, keen to show uh, what they do. I mean, obviously, there's some 
there is some sort of privacy in it. The, the, they want to keep their sort of secret um, uh, regimes to themselves. But generally speaking, they, they, they quite like to show off and show what they do. And they really want to show golf as a very physically demanding sport. And, uh, and it requires preparation, which they're very happy to, to show on the ETPI website. Yeah, and would you say that players are now more receptive towards maybe the sports medicine, the S and C element of, of preparing for tournaments and for sort of golfing events? I think so. I, I mean, it wasn't an awful long time that players used to come in to lie around to be warmed up um, with um, with soft tissue therapy. Uh, that's now gone out the window, and and most of them will 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 know that um, good strength and conditioning will reduce their injury rate and will improve their performance. Okay, um, and obviously, with yourself having been there for you know s since the start of, um, of the event, and not knowing not only the players but the staff quite well, was there anything that you did to sort of change, sort of help, sort of mould that that mindset or that sort of attitude towards sports medicine, or is that something that's just gradually sort of developed over time? Yes, I think it's gradually developed over time. I think um, the idea of of, of uh, medical approaches to, to uh, a lot of musculoskeletal conditions uh, is is um, accepted uh, by European tour players. Uh, obviously, that there are the, we, we have surgical colleagues. There's a part to play, but um, to have a generalist um, who um, can help their performance by understanding some of the problems that go wrong uh, is very important. Okay, and for listeners, so they could be um, physiotherapists, sports medicine doctors, other sort of um, therapists as well. Could you, who especially may not be sort of familiar with seeing golfers and with their musculoskeletal injuries, what are your sort of what are the most common things that you see on the tour? Well, this was a very good question. About 10, 15 years ago, um, we asked that 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 question. Our our impression was that risk problems were 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 quite problematic. Um, the, the issue is that unlike a sort of football team, there's 150 of them. So if someone disappears for six weeks, you don't really notice uh, that they're missing. And then you find that they've had a, a particular problem. So there was always an issue of, of actually how you worked out what the, what the uh, problem areas were. But it's been written before that risk problems were, were, were considered to be quite common. Um, and that's where we started. We got an advisory board together of experts in, in risks uh, and expert radiologists. And we taught them a lot about golf. Um, and we talked a lot about golf together. Uh, and chose to do a study looking at um, players at our, our Blue Ribbon event, the BMW Championship, in 2009. And we actually studied um, and asked them about their risk problems. Um, and we published that uh, in, in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Uh, and that was really the start of it all. And, and from that, um, we, we've done that in other areas, the hip, uh, to some extent the shoulder. Uh, and um, we find that a very good, good approach. Uh, this way, we now understand that the wrist is the, the commonest reason for being off tour, uh, and particularly the leading wrist, that's the wrist that, that hits down, in, hits the ball, but also hits the ground, which allows the control of the ball, uh, and the leading wrist is, is by far the, the, the most injured part of, of any professional golfer. Okay, and could you give us an insight into the type of pathology, so in the, if, we, if we use the leading wrist as, the, as an example, what sort of pathologies do you tend to see here? Yeah. Well, if, if, if um, your listeners actually sort of picked up their pencil and held it roughly like a, a, a golf club, and then they raised it above their heads and, and pressed down, you can sort of see that the ulnar side of the, of the leading wrist 
is one that's going to take a lot of the forces. Uh, and uh, on the ulnar side of the wrist, we have extensa carpi ulnaris, um, which protects the ulnar side of the wrist. Uh, and uh, bones, of course, do clatter together um, 200 times a day, several time, times during the week. Uh, and, and that's where the problems um, are really centred. Okay. Um, and you've mentioned this, sort of, it's, it may be well due to a, a loading issue. Um, how much important is sort of load monitoring from an injury prevention point of view or an education point of view? How, how much does that form a feature in the, in the management of these conditions? It's a really interesting question because, of course, that's, that's the next stage. We, we, we didn't really know what we were going to find. And now we know what we found. Um, we're now turning our attention to, to prevention. Uh, and it's absolutely uh, without any doubt that uh, players that go and hit 400 balls because they've suddenly got a European Tour card uh, do badly. And uh, we're always listening out for that, for, for, for people telling us that. Um, interestingly, and something you perhaps wouldn't um, believe, that uh, these top players, even when they've won majors, do fiddle with their swing. They want to do things differently to make themselves even more perfect. Uh, difficult to understand, but they do, and often changing technique uh, leads to loading uh, changes, and that in itself uh, can often lead to problems. So yes, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's an issue. Uh, we'd like to think that uh, by working with England Golf, that's our amateur colleagues, that we might be able to find um, some sort of tables so that uh, at a certain age you, you should hit a certain number of shots a bit like cricket in, in, in the number of overs that bowled by young players. But we haven't got there yet, um, but I think it will come. Okay. Um, and you've mentioned that you, you perform quite a lot of research, and you've mentioned uh, England golf there, and you've mentioned you've worked, you've worked with some of the biggest, uh, performed research in some enormous tournaments. How receptive has the golf world been towards, been towards that? And how, have you got any tips for people looking to conduct research in elite mm -hmm. sports? Well, I, I think at the beginning there was... Um, there was some scepticism um, because they thought we were sort of coming to experiment on them for someone else's game. Um, and I think uh, uh, a lot of the early chat was about um, the fact that research was about improving their lot, you know, increasing their longevity, increasing their length of time they can uh, hit a ball in an accurate way. And um, uh, since, that, since the sort of players now understand that's the, the prime reason for, for us doing it, they're very cooperative. Um, now, players on the top players do have a lot of demands at golf tournaments, um, but we have a, a test bed on the, on, the, on the Challenge Tour, that's the second tier of the European Tour, uh, and uh, we have each year a tournament which, which we choose to do our sort of research project of the year, and the players almost look forward to it, um, uh, and, and um, they're often asking us what we're going to be doing this year. So we've generated, um, I think, quite a good sort of principal philosophy behind our research. It's always about them. We always feed back the research. Uh, we try and get the, 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 the staff on board, and certainly the medical staff have got to be on board, so that they can um, give it a bit of a buzz, so that when the, when the day comes, uh, the players are, are, are very happy to, to be involved. Okay. And that must make it a fair bit easier for yourself as well. Yes. I mean, I, I, I think if you, 
if you don't know the players, if you walk up to them and, and, and expect them to to, um, uh, to to take part without any preparation, without any uh, any of that preliminary stuff, um, it's it's quite difficult. Professional sportsmen have a lot of demands, as, as I say, they don't have the time. Okay. Um, and let's say so we're in the beautiful settings of the of the Belfry this morning. Um, and let's say if I was to set up a musculoskeletal clinic sort of half a, half a mile down the road, we've mentioned the wrist. Um, what are those things, you know, what, for people who might be dealing with golfers in the future, what sort of pathology would you tell people to brush up on and um, what are the key sort of clinical things to look out for? Yes, I mean, I think that there is a big distinction between elite golfers and amateur golfers. Uh, and uh, with amateur golfers, often they are a little bit older, uh, they've got already got pathology on board, so you're really complicating existing pathology. Uh, and I think the, 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 the shoulder is something that, um, the, that I would be, make sure that I was uh, pretty good at dealing with. Interestingly, the wrist problems don't exist um, uh, in very amateur players, it's only the better amateurs. Um, and professionals where it really is an issue um, and of course um, the consistency of a swing in, a, in an amateur player is often less so uh, in theory you're, you're putting less stress through some of these tissues uh, as an amateur because you're doing things so um, uh, randomly um, and probably not so much either. Okay, and you just mentioned the shoulder there now. Um, so we've talked about the rest of the, the leading yeah. wrist. Which which shoulder do you sort of tend? It's to? also the leading shoulder. Okay. Um, and if you th and and uh, I do a little talk, a little lecture talking about um, the examination of the shoulder, uh, and I think the golf swing actually does examine the shoulder for you. Um, because it does a scarf test at the top of the backswing, um, and uh, it does a, an apprehension test at the end of the um, uh, of the swing, uh, and uh, you can work out in between, um, depending on on, on where uh, the, the the patient gets the pain or the discomfort or the or the clunks or the clicks. And I would say that um, uh, that amateur players uh, uncover. Um, tendinopathy in their rotator cuff so they get impingement quite often but for more, more serious players um, in the leading uh, shoulder unlike the throwers they get, um, uh, they get external rotation deficit rather than internal rotation deficit uh, for, for, for those of your, 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 your listeners that, um, uh, that have a good understanding of, of the shoulder they get posterior instability as opposed to anterior instability uh, which is the problem that uh, throwers get. So, for, for just to recap on that, the leading shoulder is the is the problem shoulder. For the amateur, older player, normal subacromial impingement as a result of tendinopathy is 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 probably the commonest uh, problem. But for more serious um, elite players, uh, they do end up with posterior instability, and we have written about why that why that's the case. Um, and uh, of course, that's dealt with in, in, in a slightly different way. Um, so another joint that's you know featured quite heavily is in the news, um, sort of more to, sort of into midway through twenty sixteen was hip pathology and whether there were any sort of predictive tests that could um, predict that in professional golfers. Mm. Is there? Would you mind sort of providing us a quick sort of yes. research that research? Almost prior to that, uh, we we found that uh, that the golfers. Um, even established golfers, elite golfers, um, would sometimes present with um, internal rotation problems or deficit. Uh, and that, of course, made a huge difference to their swing, because during the follow-through, they'd have to stand up, but, and, and um, uh, that would lead to the ball going, going in all directions. 
Um, and we realized that, um, uh, that the hip was probably an issue. Now, the, the, those were functional conditions, a lot of them, because that was to do with um, uh, getting tight posterior structures, tight uh, glutes, uh, as a result of the repetitive action of the golf swing. And uh, as those became tight, you, you reduce the ability to be able to internally rotate. But that led us to think um, about you know, whether this was um, an area that may be of general interest. Um, and we thought all the energy was going through the leading wrist. That's the, where all the force, all the, all the speed of the swing actually goes through compared with the trailing hip, which is the right hip in, in, in a right-handed golfer. Um, and uh, we got the right people together and, and decided to study it. Um, we also realised um, in, a, in, a, in a small study done, done with England Golf that even quite young people had quite significant uh, hip and groin pain, mainly on the leading side. Uh, and as a result, uh, we did a study which looked at functional movements, looked at normal orthopedic examination, uh, involved a questionnaire, and finally an MRI scan on a, on a proportion of a field uh, of golfers uh, at an event in Scotland a couple of years ago. Um, the result was, was quite interesting because you know we said all oh, the pathology was going to be in the in the leading wrist uh, in the leading um, hip, um, but in but most of the label pathology was in the trailing uh, hip, which was a complete surprise uh, to everyone. Um, but what appears to be protective in golfers and in maybe something they develop um, and possibly a little bit like um, happens in baseball, but there's some, that as you develop as a golfer you have a little bit more antiversion in the, in the leading hip, which means that you can, you can do more internal rotation without bashing the labrum. I think in, in simple terms, that's the way I see it. Um, but we haven't proven that. We've come up with a whole load of extra questions now that we didn't have before. Um, but uh, it, it's certainly of interest. That people seem to get pain on the leading hip, uh, but they seem to have more pathology in, 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 in the trailing hip. Uh, we'll be following that this was a, uh, just an initial study. Um, it'd be nice to do it on women. It'd be nice to do a longitudinal study and see whether golfers do develop these these protective um, morphological changes, um, which means that they that they're able to survive into into professional golf. Okay, and I think at this podcast I should say that all the sort of the the papers and the videos and things we've mentioned will all be sort of in the description of this podcast so, so listeners can you know, access them in, the, in, in their own time. Um, and as we sort of wrap up on the, on the clinical side of, um, side of the podcast, the one thing I'm, I'm keen to talk about, and I know that you know, something that you, you put a lot of work into yourself, is the Golf and Health Project that you're running with uh, Dr. Andrew Murray. So for listeners who might not be familiar with the project, um, could you just sort of try and summarise it? Yes, again, this, is, um, this came really from our leaders um, who had noticed that uh, there was a slight reduction in numbers of people belonging to golf clubs and slight reduction in interest in golf. Uh, and for a number of years, uh, I'd been, I had a lecture which looked at golf and health. Uh, for instance, uh, the, the, the dose of exercise um, that you get playing a round or round, a, round and a half of golf a week actually absolutely mirrored uh, the amount of exercise in the Diabetic Prevention Project. So it made me wonder whether we could sell golf as a health-enhancing physical activity. And politically, that had always been quite difficult to do. Um, and as a result, to cut a long story short, we managed to get uh, funding for a PhD, um, funding to do a scoping review. 
um, and hopefully funding to do some some uh, projects which would fill the gaps uh, in, 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 our, in our knowledge. But you know what we found was that uh, that almost certainly golfers live live longer, uh, and that's to take it takes into consideration all the sort of social aspects, um, earnings, etc. That that um, uh, there was a very good study from Sweden that really showed that. There was lots of uh, indirect uh, studies, a study from Finland where they don't play in the winter, where they studied people during the winter, and then as they started to play golf again, which showed uh, reduced risk factors. Uh, cholesterol, etc., which may sort of gave it a bit of a mechanism by which um, the Swedish study, you know, could be believed. Um, and if you look at the uh, golf, um, it is uh, considered a moderately intense physical activity. Uh, and uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that, um, uh, the, the, that, uh, that people that play golf perhaps live longer. Okay. I think the real interest, though, is the next phase of studies because um, it's all well and good saying golfers live longer, but it's all about quality of life. Uh, and uh, we've done some pilot work in, in California and also in Southampton, which suggests that golfers develop characteristics which make them less likely to, um, to become disabled, less likely to fall. Uh, and who knows, we might eventually be able to connect up and you know, reduce health costs. So, tongue-in-cheek, um, perhaps um, golf membership will, will um, be eligible for tax relief uh, in the future. Who knows? Um, what I know is, though, that uh, it was a good exercise to, 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 to do this, and um, uh, the IOC have been particularly interested. Um, all the sports within the Olympics uh, are supposed to look at their, their, their grassroots and have some understanding of risks and benefits. Uh, and uh, the scoping re review methodology, we challenge other sports to, to do the same. Okay, and we've, we've had a podcast with Dr Andrew Murray who speaks a bit uh, you know, in depth about the scoping review, um, and I think, like you said, the, it, it seems like a fantastic project and one that, and if, I know this is a scoping review post protocol that was uh, published in the BGSM, so really you'd implore listeners to, sort of, to read into that if they were looking to replicate this sort of study in their sport. Yes, I think so. I, I, I think uh, it, it's not as um, time-consuming as, as, as a systematic review. Um, it does take into account um, the sort of grey literature, which often does hint at uh, some really good uh, information. Um, and um, if people do it in a standard way, um, when, you know, when, when someone's deciding whether someone should uh, play rugby, football, um, and they want to look at the health elements, uh, they could... Um, they could be able to compare sports uh, much more readily. And one thing that becomes quite clear upon reading the scoping review is the fact that you know, whilst you, the, the health benefits are in the spots like quite clearly, you also make no sort of, you, there's no attempt to hide you know, the fact that there are, of course, musculoskeletal injury risks, there's a, you, know, you mentioned skin cancer in the, in the, in the scoping review, and you know, how do you balance, you know, just trying, especially with the organisation which you, you work with, how do you balance sort of, um, the risk versus benefits? Well, um, we certainly did look at the risks and we looked at the injury rates um, and we compared them with, with, with other sports uh, and we've actually published the, the, the figures. There is an injury rate, but we feel that uh, that's completely offset by the, by the benefits of the, of the physical activity, but also the social interaction uh, and the big green space. Who knows, there might be something in that. 
Um, we have also, um, in our work with, with professional sport, always tried to highlight any of the public health messages uh, so, that, um, so that some of these risks are offset. Okay. Well, I think so that probably bring, brings an end to this podcast. Thanks ever so much for sort of not just the clinical insight, but the organisational element to it and you're touching on the end of it, the public health side of it. So thanks ever so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much indeed for asking me. And uh, if any of your listeners are interested, um, please get in touch. We're always very happy to, to show people around and, uh, and, and to uh, uh, invite people to events. So ever so kind of you, thank you. You've been listening to a BGSM podcast with me, Stefan Griffin, and Dr. Roger Hawkes. If you have any podcast suggestions for the future, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us via the usual channels. Hope you have a great, great day and look forward to um, welcoming you back soon.